1: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we recently received the key to the city in celebration for our 50th episode. Okay, not not actually true. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR 1680 AM, Ada, Grand Rapids. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio, my fellow Doubtcasters, Jeremy Bean. Hello, everyone. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen.
2: I didn't get no key to the city. The city council just came and worked me over with pipes.
1: Yeah, I think actually <laughs> that the
0: city is, is
1: ashamed of us.
2: They're about ready to cordon off the, his block where all the... Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. The whole Freethought f- Commune
0: I over... I saw a former city commissioner at your wedding, Dave. Oh, that is true. Which, congratulations, well, thank by you. the way. Thank you
1: which is I I I'm sorry the reason why we didn't have a new episode for a couple of weeks I was busy getting married and and you were all taking vacations and that sort of thing
0: I I just wanted to note one one very bizarre thing about Dave's wedding mm-hmm. um the guy who was officiating yes. your ceremony I kept on I kept on looking at his face and going I know this guy from somewhere mm-hmm. he looks really familiar but I've never met him it was it was a Busey. Yes. It was it was Mr. Jake Busey. Jake Busey, mm-hmm. son of Gary Busey. Yes. And uh, so the guy who blew up the 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 fundamentalist terrorist who yes. blew up the machine in Cosmos Contact Contact. Sorry. Yes. In Contact was officiating your wedding. That's right. I thought that was great. That's you right. You had
2: that guy from the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, not 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 the character,
1: but uh, but the but actor Jake Busey. who portrayed him. Yes. Really. Yeah, he's a he's a family friend. Uh, my now wife worked with him uh, at a convention, and uh, they've been best buddies ever since. I
0: kept on expecting him to, you know, flip out and do something weird or what something. We do now. But it was just—he's no, completely normal. He's a
1: very very nice, down to earth guy. He. He even let the children climb on top of him. So
2: he's tolerant. See, if there would have been a video feed of the wedding, I would have been like, that guy there? He doesn't belong there. (laughs) Hand the camera, right?
1: And and, and, uh, for the record, he actually got his uh, minister's license just to perform our wedding. Sweet. And flew into town for that. So So thanks, Jake. Thanks for coming. Um, But anyway, uh, merrily we roll along. This is episode 50. This is um, a milestone if you're into round numbers like that so uh and we've got we've got a lot to cover with this episode, including um an email from one of our Christian listeners to begin with though we've got a local connection to a international scandal that's been going on
0: blackwater i'm sure many mm-hmm. people are aware that Blackwater is back in the news again,
1: although they're no longer called blackwater no. now they're they're they have several different names I think the American training Something or other is the the legitimate name for the company
0: now, or, the, or is it XZZ? X-Z, That's one of the other like that. other it aspects like of a, it. Energy yeah. drink or something. Yeah. Well, Blackwater are uh, privately contracted military force mercenaries. Mercenaries mm-hmm. that uh, the Bush administration was using in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yes. You know, obviously there was controversy th- all throughout the Bush years, even up to now, over you know, what are we using a private military force? There was all all sorts of stuff coming out regularly about how they may have been abusing their power, that there wasn't enough oversight. Well, now Eric Prince, the company's owner and founder, Mm -hmm. is under investigation for uh, murder. The piece by Jeremy Scahill for The Nation, Blackwater founder implicated in murder, uh, says that Eric Prince may have murdered or facilitated the murder of individuals who were cooperating with federal authorities investigating the company. Former employees also allege that Prince views himself as a Christian crusader mm, tasked mm-hmm. with eliminating Muslims and the Islamic faith from the globe and that Prince's companies uh, encouraged and rewarded the destruction of Iraqi life.
1: Now, now, are they alleging that he pulled the trigger himself or just that his company um, under his – Guidance is responsible for murders.
0: My understanding is that the two witnesses that they had that have now – they are in protective custody. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have sworn affidavits where they claim knowledge of his involvement but not direct eyewitnesses of it. Okay. One was part of Blackwater's upper management team. Mm-hmm. The other was a former Marine who was working for Blackwater, and both of them, in separate sworn testimonies, said some of the same basic things. There's already a series of suits going on for the wrongful death of Iraqi citizens. Mm-hmm. September 16th, 2007.
1: It's almost two years
0: now. This is yeah. Still, it's shooti- just shootings in Baghdad. Uh, Left 17 Iraqis dead. That's right. So there's been five Blackwater employees that are under investigation for those wrongful deaths. And uh, there's a sixth who's actually pled guilty to manslaughter uh, at attempt to commit manslaughter. And he's already working with the prosecutors. So they're under a lot of tension. Right. And in in this climate, um, apparently, according to John Doe 1 and John Doe 2, their testimony, uh, apparently Eric Prince and – other Blackwater employees are trying to find people who are going to rat them out and kill them. Mm-hmm. Both, both of these men said that they fear for their own lives as well and that they have been threatened on several occasions should they try to speak out about it. Here's a quote from John Doe too. Prince views himself as a Christian crusader tasked with eliminating Muslims and the Islamic faith from the globe. To that end, Mr. Prince intentionally deployed to Iraq certain men who shared his vision of Christian supremacy, Mm. knowing and wanting these men to take every available opportunity to murder Iraqis. Um, He also says that they used call signs based on the Knights of Templar. Wow. uh, The warriors who fought the Crusades. Now this isn't like conspiracy theory stuff. Ooh, they're members of the Knights Templar. It's more like this is a club. They're pretending, make believe. They want to pretend like they are well, and, back and in Eric the Crusade. Is
1: actually the direct descendant of Mary Magdalene. Yeah, I don't know I if you knew that. that. That's, Holy <laughs> grail. that's
0: not true.
2: It's not very efficient to pop off individual people with your mercenaries. If he wants to kill people, he needs to get elected in this country and do it as government policy, just like everyone else. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I see.
0: I suppose. you
2: could kill a lot more people that way.
0: Prince operated his companies in a manner that encouraged and rewarded the destruction of Iraqi life. Mr. Prince's executives would openly speak about going over to to Iraq to lay hajis out on the cardboard, quote. Uh Going to Iraq to shoot and kill Iraqis was viewed as sport or game. Prince's employees openly and consistently used racist and derogatory terms for Iraqis. Part of, you know, the ordinary psychology of warfare, dehumanizing others, and uh, this one just with a certain religious twist.
1: Right. Well, and and, um, Eric Prince is right from Holland, Michigan. Yeah. Just up the road from here, and he's— A local boy. A a local boy. His sister is uh, part of the DeVos clan.
0: Betsy DeVos. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Part of the DeVos family that pretty much runs Grand Rapids. Yeah,
0: very rich family in Grand Rapids. They donate to uh, a number of conservative causes in the area. They're
1: Including Dick DeVos' gubernatorial run, which yeah. was a failure, even in his own city, because no one trusts him even in his own neighborhood. Right. Um, but they're also uh, the donate, founder of Amway.
0: Yeah, Fan, uh, donate tons of money to Family Research Council, focus yes. on the family, been big pushers in this area of actually privatizing the school systems, mm-hmm. offering vouchers. And, and there's a religious rationale to that, too, trying to get people out of these evil public schools and into charter schools and religious schools where they can uh, have a sanitized education. Eric Prince and his extended family, their roots in the conservative religious right movement are very deep. Mm-hmm and he apparently views himself as a modern day crusader one report i listened to on npr even said that he converted to catholicism to be closer to the faith that's right that motivated the crusaders mm-hmm. so frightening frightening stuff just another one to to the list of topics we've been talking about of of fundamentalist influence uh, in the military and the government
1: and paramilitary groups and
0: yep i i also wanted to comment real quick As we were reading all these comments about, you know, using racist words to describe Iraqis, viewing Mm -hmm. it as sport to kill them, have you guys? I I wanted to put in a pitch for a for a book. Has either of you ever read the book? I think it's called Humanity by Glover. No. Humanity: A Moral History of the 20th Century. He looks at accounts of some of these most horrible things that you can find in the 20th century. Um, The Holocaust. Yes. The Holocaust, he looks at the Vietnam War and he looks at all these situations where Pol Pot, where human beings are doing terrible things to other human beings. Mm -hmm. And he looks for are there any kind of psychological or philosophical commonalities in in all these different cases? And one consistent one that he came up was uh, dehumanizing language. People are referred to as uh, as animals, as vermin uh, or as viruses, diseases that need to be wiped out. Racist words are used a lot to characterize the enemy. And, you know, it's basically you have to establish these people as other. Right. One of the things that really struck me from Glover's account is that, you know, religion could be brought into the mix as far as helping people dehumanize one another. They could use their religious identities for that. But also it worked the other way too. There were uh, secular versions of the same thing mm-hmm. with the communists uh, directed towards religious people, uh, dehumanizing. And I think after reading that book, that's part of the reason why I can't get on uh, the whole train that Dawkins and others are on calling people faith heads. Uh, religion is you know, a virus that's infecting the mind and everything else. Uh, 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 it's just to me it smacks too much of that dehumanizing language. And, and I think actually – uh, I think Dawkins is a very morally aware person. I don't think he's trying to go down that route uh, for those reasons. I think he's trying ridicule is, right. is what he's perceiving it as. But there's always that danger. Applying those types of terms and thinking in that kind of us versus them mentality. In social
2: science: the, the term for that is the, uh, the you have a circle of justice that usually almost every group extends to their own group mm-hmm. and not some other group. That, so. Peter Singer can riffed on that when he talked about the expanding circle, mm-hmm. where you you know where you include more and more groups in it different ethnic groups or whatever, or even non-humans. But uh, yeah, the, but but religion is often used to subscribe a, a narrower circle. You don't view your allegiance to humanity. You view it as just a, your group or your clan or something like that.
1: Right. Well, speaking of expanding circles, we've been getting some emails recently from Christian listeners.
2: Yeah, Josh
0: writes, Dear Reasonable Doubts, I am a believer, and I have great respect for your commitment to truth and reason despite our differing worldviews. Well, thank you very much, Josh. Yeah, that's great. He said, I would consider myself committed to truth and reason, and I have a request. I was wondering if you could compile a list of five or maybe ten, in your opinion, most convincing arguments against the existence of God. I think we've got 50 or so by now, don't we?
2: (laughs) Is that well, the Christopher Hitchens'
1: line. He's it would be hard to choose just one, but yeah, well,
0: that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, um, as far as if you want to be really, really literal with this, and he's saying arguments against the existence of God, so like positive atheism arguments. Mm-hmm. So not critiquing the arguments for the existence of God, which is what I usually tend to focus on. Well, yeah. Say this is the this is the evidence that people are presenting for God. This is why I think it's bad evidence. Which if you wanted to do the reverse and say, is there positive arguments that you can use to show that a god doesn't exist? I think there's a lot less of those or at least their status is a little bit more questionable. Well, you get into the issue of proving a negative. Since we're
1: not the ones trying – making the extraordinary claims as as Carl Sagan would say, we're not the ones who have the burden of proof. Um, So really the position of taking the arguments for God and saying here's how it doesn't work is a more honest position in a lot of ways.
0: I don't know uh, if it's more honest, but it certainly seems to me the the better strategic. Well, yeah. Because we don't have to disprove – a God, um, as you said, right. the person who's making the claim has to offer evidence for it. And this idea that a lot of believers seem to have—that that the presumption is just on the side of God—oh, you don't right. believe, you don't believe in God. Proof there prove is it, no God. Yeah, uh, is is something that we really need to focus on. We need mm-hmm. to we need to show people, look, that's not the way it is. You should be able to justify your own beliefs. So. Maybe instead of taking that literally, let's let's look at it more broadly. I was just thinking, uh, maybe a casual conversation on what for the three of us, what have we found to be the most persuasive? Transforming from you know a religious person to a non-religious, what were some of the, the most compelling arguments?
1: Victor Stenger says in his book, "God the Failed Hypothesis: Absence of evidence is evidence of absence." There's no actual evidence for the existence of a god, which is, according to most, should be a pervasive presence throughout all of the universe. And because there's no evidence of this god existing, then that's a pretty good sign that it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, I mean we should be really careful there, there because technically absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Um, you could have just not seen the right evidence yet.
1: And that's why we don't try to prove a negative. But when
0: we're talking about, yeah, about the position that something doesn't exist, it's hard to think of what better evidence would count than just saying, look, there's there's no evidence here,
1: right? And 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 Stenger's point is that because the God that's being posited by by Christianity, I think he's specifically talking about Christians, is a God that should be in everything, right. and because there is no sign of it in anything,
0: most people believe in a in a personal God and one right. who's involved in the affairs of the universe, uh, and even deists believe in a clockwork universe that was created by a god and should have evidence of that god's handiwork and you know we, we don't we don't really see that out there. Uh despite some of these fine tuning arguments and other things that mm-hmm. the world looks like a pretty looks like a place that evolved. It's not hospitable to life in most corners. There's not intelligent design it looks as if it evolved gradually.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, Dawkins in um God delusion makes the point that um, if there is a God, he created a universe that looks exactly like how you would expect a universe that didn't have a God to look if a God did create everything, he sure hit his tracks well.
0: Just general absence of evidence for a god I think is is one of the most persuasive things i thought i I, mm-hmm. I think looking at the traditional arguments like the cosmological argument sure. uh, that the design argument, the ontological argument, uh, I remember even as a believer, those didn't really persuade me all that much. Um, but but again, th- those, those arguments just fail time and time again even though they're reworked. <laughs> what well,
2: about problem of evil?
0: OK. Problem of evil would be one that is a positive – argument for the non-existence of god or
2: or at least a god that is a good god right god that's worth having again it's much harder to disprove a deistic feckless type of god because there's nothing to get a it's like wrestling in oil you can't get a grip on anything but a god you know that most 90 whatever percent of people believe in is a god who's a benevolent god and that i think you can't make a positive argument against that right because where's the where's the beef with a, a evidence of Good God with the problem. Yeah, and
1: study after study shows that that prayer does not actually work. Um, And and even when I was uh, being raised in the church, I was told that prayer is always answered, but it's answered in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. Well, (laughs) so is everything.
2: (laughs) Isn't that the onion headline? You know, God finally answers little boy's prayer.
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean – You know, how do you how do you base a a real argument on the power of prayer when you say, well, sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says, wait, like,
2: you know, not falsifiable. Yeah, exactly. I think learning about social sciences and and psychology and things, uh, I think, has been giving me a, a good vocabulary for spotting the problems when I was religious with. You know' cause they teach you all kinds of yes, they say there's this thing called the problem of evil, but God really works in mysterious ways mm-hmm. and and w- the the language that I use for that is it's unfalsifiable and and you you just you use gymnastics to teach ways to slime out of the you know equation well, it just looks evil or what looks evil to man is not really evil to God, and that all those things are rationalization, so I think the thing that was the single thing that was most damaging to my faith was learning that what you call those type of apologetics, it's really just rationalizations because you're rendering your belief unfalsifiable. If there is no potential way that God could be conceived as doing something evil, there's just no way that you could possibly disprove that. You're doing it as a defense mechanism for your faith.
0: I'm very much like you, Luke, in that what was convincing to me weren't arguments about God per se or the non existence of God. It was a shift in my epistemology. It was a shift Mm -hmm. in my what I what I took to be acceptable lines of evidence acceptable standards for evidence how we determine something to be true as those types of things started changing in my mind through learning more about psychology I was a psych minor and more about philosophy of science and philosophy in general I had all these influences saying look you know these are fallacies we try to avoid these these are good standards of evidence these are poor standards of evidence and started finding you know so much of my religious belief was based on cognitive errors, Hmm. was based on logical fallacies or evidence that you just couldn't – it didn't justify the conclusions that we were drawing from. The
1: kind of evidence that you wouldn't accept in any other argument, But when it comes to what is for many right. people the most important aspect of their lives. They're perfectly yeah, willing I, to to throw. I think
2: Jeremy put it this way too, is that you can make it work. If you engage in enough intellectual gymnastics, you could yeah. rationalize and come up with exceptions to this. And like with we're in the right. Bible reading. So you could, you could read it in a particular way that, Absolutely, that, that overcomes it, but it's just—it's not, not the most parsimonious thing. Eventually, you realize yourself: I'm just doing these gymnastics.
0: You get these very yeah. convoluted attempts to justify your beliefs. Um, I'm working very hard to justify hard. this. Yeah. Yep. one of the major things for me was was looking at the ways I was trying to justify my religious belief. So, faith—I—I I just have faith in something. I trust in the authority. Revelation. I have some book from God that tells me the truth. Miracles, my own personal religious experiences. Those are the type of things that people of every faith tradition use. So if you're a Buddhist, you're a Hindu, you're a Muslim, all faith traditions are going to appeal to faith, revelation, personal experience, mir- miracles. If those things can be used to justify virtually any religious belief, You have to question, then, how reliable are they as guides to truth? Can you really trust faith? Can you really trust revelation? Can you really trust personal experience? And I get this a lot of time talking to religious believers. Once you get through all the rational arguments and everything else, Mm -hmm. they say, but I know in my heart, I know it's true. I'm in a relationship with God. I feel it. Well, do you think a Muslim doesn't? Right. Deeply and personally, and in a way that 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 convicts them that this is the truth, I mean everybody has these experiences, so how can anyone trust them? so so I think I, I think that's the major difference is, is an epistemological one. I prefer science and a naturalistic worldview because this this gives me ways of knowing that it's not just wishful thinking, right It's not based on sub- something completely subjective. In the sciences, the evidence is publicly verifiable. Right Now, a lot of times I have to trust a science textbook. I have to trust some sort of expert because I don't have the time or the natural ability or the inclination to go get a PhD in physics. So get you put a PhD your faith in, in it. Psych- yeah, every time I want to know something. But the fact is the information is out there. Should you yes. do that? If I wanted yeah. to, I could go through all those steps and I could – get the requisite knowledge to understand these arguments for myself. They don't depend on any claim to authority. It was amazing to me to see how much that really does explain. I mean, the notion I had growing up in a religious background was that, you know, science answered a few things, but it left the big mysteries of life unanswered. And it's just been amazing to me to see how much of our own personal ways of thinking, Mm -hmm where the roots of our morality come from, the nature of the cosmos as a whole. It's just – it was astounding to me as I began my secular education, I guess you could say, uh, while deconverting just how much science did reveal and that it was a better explanation than a supernatural worldview. And so I guess that, that would be for me another very persuasive argument against belief in God. And more broadly, the supernatural is is an appeal to the best explanation. We have the facts of the world in front of us um, that that by the way, theists would agree too. I think most theists believe there's a physical world out there. Most theists believe that you can so. use this the evidence of your senses and the evidence of logic to try to make sense of it. Most of them use the tools of science they accept induction they accept uh, the uniformity of nature mm-hmm. It's not as if we're bringing in a whole group of assumptions that religious believers don't already accept themselves. It's just we don't have their supernatural. Right. We're just
1: dropping some of the extra assumptions that don't
0: actually right. fit into the picture. And it really does help you to explain the world a lot better. It's it's simpler. When you believe in the supernatural, you add this whole other world on top of the physical world that we Experience in our everyday life, mm-hmm. and you need to explain. Well, how does this stuff all work together? So, with psychology, we talked about this in in some of the free will determinism stuff. If you're going to embrace the supernatural and God, then you have this problem of dualism. How is it that this immaterial soul is going to interact with the material world? How can you explain? You know, what happens when people get brain damage or other things? Is their soul damaged as well?
2: Pineal gland
0: that was how to interact, <clears throat> yeah, the yeah that's right
1: that was that was really the the thing that killed the soul for me was hearing about lobotomies and and how much it changes a person's personality and i thought well then which soul Goes to heaven? Is it the one pre lobotomy or post lobotomy?
2: Yeah, Phineas Gage was a nice man exactly. before he got the rod blown through his frontal lobe, and then he was a profane and an unreliable guy afterwards. Right. Did his soul? Did he be, become more evil? Did his soul change? And then you get. Is uh, God going to punish him? Because and
1: then you have to reduce it down to a soul that doesn't actually relate to the personality of the person. And then what's the point? If right. I'm going to to go to heaven. And see all of my loved ones in a way that none of us are the selves that anyone would recognize. What's the
0: point? Keeping it in a physical world makes more sense. Yes. S- same thing with morality. Uh, you, you've read Hauser, right, Luke? You're, yeah, you're familiar with a good book. all this research now on how we – our moral intuitions work really fit the hypothesis that they evolved. They evolved right. in small groups of social primates for those needs and we make we make certain moral errors or have certain biases that's completely consistent with that hypothesis mm-hmm.
2: and, and the things you mentioned before about personal experiences, often religious people use the uniformity to, as evidence of God. If I speak in tongues and you speak in tongues, and, right. and that we all have an experience of a divine light, they often say that's evidence that God is external, because how else could you explain why we could all have a people similar all experience people the Jesus world looked? are having the world are the the same experience the well, yeah but yeah there but uniform experiences but the because you the the same brain and the same the same that the and that the example of the the for that, it's, it's very selective so evidence naturalism, too.
0: Naturalism can better account for the prevalence of all these different contradictory religious beliefs. Right. Whereas if you are taking the supernatural route, why are some people wrong? Why are some people deceived and some people are on the right track? You just layer on confusion and Wolf assumption onto it. It would be compelling if they're all
1: speaking in tongues in the same language, but they're not. There are studies that shown that demonic possession. No, uh, no. So people like, are not so,
2: so, so, so like, – yeah. Uh,
1: demonic possession is always the demons appear in the form of the, the religious background the person has. And there's no uniformity to how demonic possessions happen and that sort of thing. So there, it, it's selective evidence to say, oh, look, we all experience this transcendent quality, but it's very different. We all believe in something larger than ourselves, but you can't say that the Christian God is the same thing as, right. as Brahma you know
0: right back to the problem of evil too i mean luke was mentioning just the the layers and layers of theodicy and confusion yeah. that it takes that if you're going to adopt that religious point of view you need to answer this question of why they're suffering why are things unfair why do good things happen to bad people mm-hmm. why are there natural calamities uh, that that destroy and rather than all these convoluted attempts to square the circle and make a righteous all-loving god fit with the suffering that is evident in existence. When you take the naturalistic worldview, the answer is simple. There, there really isn't a need for an explanation. Right. You know, we we are we are biologically evolved in a context that was not created for us. It wasn't created for our survival. We are not here to be happy or content or fulfilled. People, we are we're stuck in this thing where we're, we have to deal with the harsh realities sometimes, but there's no evil intent in it either. It's, right. This is, it's just, the this is just the nature.
2: Yeah. yeah. And so that's one of the things that I look at in my research with what we've talked about earlier in the show, like on just world belief and things like that is that in some ways, one of the bad negative effects of religion is it locks you into having to explain that, that sort of negative occurrences, which can lead to victim blaming. You know, if, if, if tidal wave wipes a quarter of a million people out in, Indonesia. I can just say, you know, that's plate tectonics. Nobody did it. But uh, a Christian person might have to say why that occurs. And some, there's a certain proportion of those people, they're going to say, well, they shouldn't have been a Muslim then, man. Yeah. What? would a God did it for a reason? Why else? Because right. he's a good God. Why else would it happen?
1: And, and then more, more liberal um, Christians might say, well, you know, it's a broken world that we live in. These things happen. It's not, it's not the fault of the victims necessarily. It's the fault of humanity's fall. That leads to these things. But
2: built but it, plate tectonics?
0: Yes. Okay. I, I think from one of the thoughts I had when, when I had when I was approaching kind of my deconversion threshold when I was getting really close is I'm just sick and tired of trying to defend this view. Mm-hmm. Against
1: Well, thank all goodness the you don't have to defend yeah. your view anymore.
0: All this, all this scientific evidence to the contrary. I'm tired mm-hmm. of trying to make the Bible fit with all these yeah. contradictions. I, I'm tired of trying to see um, the world, even though evidence is telling me the opposite, in a way that's going to be consistent with this religion.
2: You took the easy way out and gave in to Satan. That's Just right. Crossover, Jeremy.
0: Well, we've had a great example of this lately with uh, the the APA, the American mm-hmm. Psychological Association, came out against these therapies that try to turn gay people straight.
2: The American Psychological Association's uh, report, their committee and their task force issued this report, which repudiates the therapy, although a lot of people from the left especially and some of the APA's own members have criticized them for trying to sing Kumbaya a little too much with the... Conversion therapists, or let's call them the, 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 the pro gay uh, conversion therapy type people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could tell, even this one, some of the quotes from the committee members look as if they're trying to have it both ways. So, like Judith Glassgold is one of the uh, chairwomen of the task force from the APA, says, Both sides have to educate themselves better. The religious psychotherapists have to open their eyes to the potential positive aspects of being gay and lesbian. But secular therapists have to recognize that some people will choose their faith over their sexuality. And mm. Exodus International, so this is the the, the Christian right. group that, that promotes gay conversion there. Right. Um, some of their representatives said that they were pleased with parts of the report. Of yes, course. Because no, if
1: you cherry pick, there's, there's always something you can find.
2: It's a positive step. Uh, one of the uh, Exodus people says, uh, simply respecting someone's faith is a huge leap in the right direction. But I've gone further. Don't deny the possibility that someone's feelings might change. So it appears to me that that the report itself is a double-edged sword. Many people are going to take out of it whatever their their prior position happens to be.
0: But this is this is in their advice to therapists. So so isn't Lou? Correct me if I'm wrong, but but isn't this just a concern? Like, look, if you have a fundamentalist on the couch (laughs) saying that they that they're why would you have that? They don't want to be they don't want to be gay.
2: Oh, the therapy couch.
0: That you don't go and try to change their religious convictions that it's not worthwhile trying to say, "Look, homosexuality is perfectly acceptable. you know don't fight against their religious beliefs sure. just make them aware of how unrealistic it is that they're going to get rid of their homosexual feelings
2: right and that's the way they uh they frame it, and that's the way that the religious therapists ask. The APA's to frame it, and that is, is that um, there's a certain proportion of people that if you say you're just going to have to love being gay, that that's going to turn them off, and that they're, and that's actually biased. Now, here's how they've framed it. They've reframed it in terms of discrimination against the Christians because it's valuing affirmation of right. gayness as being somehow better than affirmation of a religion. If you look at the bullet points, if I could just, uh, the the report mostly said things like homosexuality is a normal and positive variant of human sexuality. It's not a mental disorder. Or they said homosexuality is stigmatized and a lot of the problems you can see in people and that would drive them to therapies because of being a minority and stressed right, out. Because right. of that. And that um, gay and lesbians and bisexuals and transgenders form relationships and families that are just equivalent to heterosexuals. So all these things, they're, they're saying in the report, there's no evidence that it's a pathology, there's no evidence that right. you could change yes. deeply ingrained Orientation, but then they add at the end: some people choose to live their lives in accordance with their religion and values, and they call this telic congruence, living within accordance with your religious values. Okay. And so, what they are saying is that they're um, they're trying to, in some ways, have a exception there that says if you have people that have strong religious views, maybe what the therapy can talk about in that case is maybe go to a different church or seem to uh, maybe even some people might live with. Abstinence, right? And That's that right. say sure. yeah. yeah. Be
0: abstinent. Just don't expect that you're going to start feeling attraction.
1: Don't
2: to torture yourself trying to think
1: that you can. And everything else. Yeah, you can be straight. Yeah, so yeah.
0: I, I see that as pretty reasonable. But you see that as kind of a compromise a or a caving? Yeah. Really? Why?
2: wait let me just talk for just a second about how they came okay. to the conclusions that they did again about the, the therapy you know and this thing's a monumental report can the mic pick this up yeah. That's a, this is a phone book people that's like 90 pages well, um, yeah. but they most of it is about all the history of therapy change attempts uh, throughout psychology's history most of these were back in the days when it was uh, considered a disorder to be right. homosexual. And that wasn't all that long ago. So, we, yeah, we're talking into the 60s and 70s, uh, and a lot of those things were like clockwork orange behavioral type therapies yeah. where mm-hmm. you use aversive punishment, yeah. you pair somebody, like if it's a gay man, to have them watch uh, male pornography and shock them or make them nauseous, but then have them um, Try to gradually fade them in somehow female with, yeah. stimuli and then reward them by having them masturbate. Or, or some like
0: of that. it was psychoanalytic, right? Or at least these Christian groups, they. they you weren't loved properly by a father. Well, that's so, the bizarre thing about yeah. many
2: contemporary Christian therapies. Actually, draw upon psychoanalysis. Yeah, I didn't know Freud was like Dob-
1: Dobson with his shower with your son to make sure yeah. he doesn't turn gay. So
2: there's no evidence uh, for those theories either. That that homosexuality is somehow caused by an environmental, you know, this the harsh mother and weak father thing of gay males. And, and um, the APA is 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 saying they that repudiate right now. that as well. There's Ex- no evidence that, of any well, of that. Some
0: of these things even kind of lead to abuse because some of the therapies are like the gay man who wants to change his orientation is supposed to sit in the lap and cuddle of the therapist yeah, and have ju- just hours of, of physical contact. You need, you need and male to learn that male that, yeah. uh,
2: friendships can be non-sexual, and so they kind of have you—it's almost like—I thought that is almost like a behavior exposure therapy to say, look, yeah. you can lay in a cuddle in a male lap and not do anything about it. You're you're fighting off those urges, I, you know. I want to
1: say it was on the Secular Nation podcast where they are talking to um, a— uh, former Mormon who was who was gay and he at the age of 11 um, was forced into this therapy with a, the grown man where, where the guy would hold him for hours on end and, and the therapist himself said he had never been able to fully um, get past his homosexual wow. feelings now he wouldn't live as a homosexual but he still had that in him but I just that's
0: terrifying that that Sounds like abuse to me. Any oh, the and report, that forced holding and the report cited that a lot of people have, you know, their self esteem plummets. They yeah. have suicidal thoughts. Well, and another thing, everything the report else.
2: yeah took 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 care to mention that is that there's a there's literature out there showing that many people report negative outcomes of therapies that try have tried to change their orientation through you know like I mean imagine this like saying the Christian therapist is saying if you try hard our program will work for you and it doesn't work. It's your fault, you loser. And so, you right. know, they right. have shame and guilt even more than coming in saying, "I, sh- I'm doing something wrong. I'm not trying hard enough." And if you push environmental views of homosexuality that it's your family, even if it might not have been because you have, you know, it's a genetic thing. A lot of the clients blame their family, and they come back and right. say, "You screwed me up. You made me gay because you didn't give me enough of this type of yeah. and that type." So that's another potential negative effect. But in the report, though, they review all this literature and they find out that. There are very. There's almost none of the studies that that uh, are what we would think of as a scientifically done study where you have a control group right. and a group that isn't control. Almost all the studies in the literature are are quasi or not even experimental, where self-selected people, almost always conservative Christians, get into therapy to change and then report. Lo and behold, some of them change, some of them don't. A lot of the the people. Um, it relies on their self report, so you can imagine some of the biases that creep into those type of studies, and that is, is if somebody comes and asks you after five thousand dollars of and three years of therapy, right. did you change Jeremy? what are you going to say? Yeah are not, you going to say yeah. no nope, that nope, wasn 't a help at all there 's this tremendous amount of rut bias in recall with these studies, so the bottom line with the science of these uh, uh, in the report of these studies are almost all of the studies are useless in scientifically establishing that this therapy works, and so the report comes out on the side of. There's no evidence that any of these reorientation therapies actually change orientation. At best, maybe what they could change is behavior and teaching somebody to suppress their urges.
0: Right,
1: right. But you still have a beef with this.
2: If it's true that most people, most gay people, feel negatively about themselves, because as the report says, there's a you know stereo, there's a bias and uh, 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 negative stereotypes about things like that, to turn around and then say, well, but we can value those religious views. Uh, in some ways, is just sure. kind of like, um, well, you just said that the reason they feel bad about their orientation is nothing inherent about being gay; it's about being raised in a worldview that says homosexuality is evil. Then to say, well, but you can keep. But let's value those, let's that value world view. those sorts right. of things. Yeah,
0: you're right. So they're trying to protect these people from abusive conversion therapies, but at the same time, they're. Justifying, They're saying it's fine for them to stay in abusive. Let's do another analogy. I
2: use this in my classes, too. Let's say that you're a therapist and a woman comes in from a conservative religious family and says, you know, uh, I lived with my husband. I was married right out of since I was a teenager. We have six kids. I want to do something with the rest of my life. I want to go to college. I want to become a nurse or something like that. Mm -hmm. But my husband and my community say, no. You need to stay home with the kids. It's evil for women to want to do that. Would you target as one of your goals of therapy to get this woman to accept the fact that she should stay home with the kids and that women shouldn't? T- to yeah, say, well, my point. personal liberal hippie views as a therapist are women should be equal with men and be educated. But because the client's view in her world that women should be subservient to men and just be uteruses, so would you then say, I need to meet you her on her level and then say, well, yeah, I'll use your worldview and say, well. You, you should be happy as a mother then. You should stay. Here. Don't think about that college and then things. Hmm.
0: Yeah, Good I can see point. that. I, get, I just – it's it's interesting. That opens up a lot of discussion on ethics, I suppose, uh, professional ethics for that area. I mean to to what degree should a therapist be involved in, in steering the worldview of their clients? I mean what you bring up I think is perfectly valid. It's But it is – I guess that's a, probably been a challenge in therapy for quite a while. No, I could say
2: I could see politically why they came to this conclusion, because uh, if it's almost like we've been talking about with atheists and religion in our in our show, there's a group of people that say uh, like, you know, P.Z. Myers or Richard Dawkins that say, here's what the science says. Why teach otherwise? Why not say that evolution means Probably there's no God. Right. There's another political group like Chris Mooney that says you guys are shooting your science in the foot by equi- by equating science with atheism. You're driving yes. away because, let's face it, most people are religious in this culture. If you take a hard line stance like that, you're going to drive them away. Now, I could see in this report, maybe politically you could say there are people that are going to be religious if you... Have this thing that says homosexuality is perfectly fine, right. and if you have a religion as a problem with it, your religion is wrong. That that's going to drive people away from therapy. I could see that that would be a political decision. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a very dangerous move for them to say homosexuality is perfectly okay, and your religion is what's screwed up. That really um, could be a big. Um, then then that's the headline. At the, the same headline. time, if
0: it's going to be abusive uh, to people's self esteem and other things by telling them they can become heterosexual when they can't, uh, could it also cause a lot of trauma or harm for the therapist to Try to pressure them to leave their religious context. Therapist I mean, should
2: never impose their values on the client. However, I think the one form that I think would be a good compromise would be a, a, like if you've ever heard of cognitive therapy. They usually do things like uh, try to get the person to reason out of their negative biases and distortions. Right. Now there are forms of that that have been adapted to religion. If somebody's a fundamentalist and think that they're going to go to hell for masturbating or whatnot, then the cognitive therapist in that case would say, "Is it do you, is it realistic? You know, let's go look through the Bible, or let's let's um uh you know, do you think that a God would punish somebody from acting on their own urges. Did you hurt anybody? They try to get within the person's worldview and then reason from their starting point. Although, again, you could see if somebody was a very hardcore fundamentalist, the Bible does say things about homosexuality that are wrong. So I think there's limitations about even reasoning within somebody's view with that, uh, within their own worldview. Here's the problem that I have uh, that's the biggest one, though, and that is that many of these religious therapists are cherry picking from this report, but then they're also ignoring the part that says that there's really nothing wrong with homosexuals, and they 're trying to link it with lifestyle is their word that and right. so many uh, of these people yeah. come in that are Christians and say and they might in fact be uh, have had problems with like drugs and alcohol or promiscuous cruising type behaviors. But that's because their worldview has set up a dichotomy. Right, look, the pressures look at Ted that Haggard, put on them. You know, right. yeah. uh, Ted Haggard yeah. smoking crystal meth with a prostitute. What if Ted Haggard yeah. had grown up within an environment that said, you know what, uh, there's nothing wrong with being gay and you could be in a stable relationship and even have a family? Would he have gone he to such— even be a minister. Would he have slunk through the gay? gutter and done all kinds of negative things if he wasn't— raised in that dichotomous worldview that says there's good Christian life as a heterosexual and those other ones are scumbags and the gays are doing all those kinds of things. So I think that in some ways these religious therapists are setting up negative, destructive behaviors in a client because they reinforce this view that homosexuality is tied to alcoholism, anxiety, depression, promiscuity, and things like
0: that. By not addressing their assumptions that it is. Mm-hmm. If they
2: are sincere about saying we want to reduce your risky behavior or we, you know, uh, your right. promiscuity, target those behaviors. I see. Why not just say uh, there's no reason to think that being gay has to mean that you're, you know, promiscuous or an alcoholic or anything. I don't see them doing that. I don't see these. In some of the articles you read, the Christian therapists are actually reinforcing this idea. They say What's wrong with trying to change homosexuality? And then they sneak in. We're trying to make people less promiscuous. We're trying to right, get them right. to be less depressed. As if they were that's the disingenuous. Same That's disingenuous. Yep. Their, that's their real mm-hmm. motivation, right? We uh, actually, uh, as a side note, I taught uh, uh, this in one of my courses uh, in the two semesters ago, and I had a uh, student who had gone through this type of therapy. Who, who this person oh, really? approached me after class and said, mm. why are you teaching this subject? Did you know that? And I was like, well, it's in our book. It's one of the topics in our book. And he's like, well, I, I had gone through this sort of therapy. And what I had heard later on was that he, he was engaged in a back and forth with some of the uh, with some of the the uh, the GLBT groups on campus by advocating uh, gay therapy. And even after he'd gone through my course, where we covered these therapies, there's no scientific basis for them. He actually kind of cherry pick some of the data we talked but it about worked and said, for him yeah there are there's yeah. there are studies out there that show that people can change and basically just ignored all the aspects of my course that said these things are not scientifically valid and so I felt in some ways I don't know if I had created a monster but basically I'd provided a bunch of material and I tried to discredit the bad material but it just gave him references to look up that supported his view yeah and,
0: yeah well it, it's a really hard thing to get outside of your of your own worldview to get outside of your your confirmation bias, the ability – and, and that's part of all of us. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's a human trait to look at evidence and, and interpret it in the light of our own beliefs and to um, ignore or deemphasize those things that would conflict. So returning back to our earlier topic, I thought we would do a little intellectual exercise here. We talked about some of the arguments against theism that we found most persuasive. So I thought we'd try. What are some of the arguments for theism or for supernatural worldview or even maybe areas where we occasionally doubt our own atheism or naturalism? As an exercise in intellectual honesty, explore that area. Dave, Luke, are there is there anything that makes you occasionally raise an eyebrow and say, well, I don't know about this? There's,
2: it's late at night when I'm lying awake and I'm scared <laughs> yeah. of my own death.
0: What really
1: gets to me and, and was the hardest part when I moved away from religion is that emotional aspect of it. Um, not just the, the church community and that sort of thing, but that idea that there's someone out there who's got your back. There's someone watching you and there's someone that loves you. That's not intellectually compelling, but it certainly is, is powerful. And that was one of the – that's why I was spiritual for a while before mm-hmm. I became an atheist because I, just, I liked that idea of something out there.
0: So you don't necessarily believe that, but there's times that maybe you wish you could.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I certainly don't believe it, but there are, are times when you know, whatever's going wrong. The other day when I was driving down to work, I um, ran over one of those big orange traffic – or construction barrels – and I was—you took out a whole barrel. I took out a barrel, and it was count. stuck under my car. And I'm trying to get it out. And I just thought, I wish, I wish I could just like pray and say, because I've got, I've got 20 minutes before I get to work, and there's dead air. Okay, I need to get in here. And this is, and it was just jammed under my car, and my car, which is not in good shape anyway. And I just thought, man, I wish there was something. Someone that I could pray to and just look up at the sky and say, God, would you just take care of this for me? Because I'm irritated. And it's not there. And instead, I got to work, you know?
0: I've had moments like that. I've kind of had moments like the opposite of that. Like something really good happens. And I remember that impulse earlier in my life to thank God. Mm. And I feel like general feelings of thankfulness just to being alive or to the world or whatever. But, yeah, like there's – there's something that triggers in the brain that wants to personify that yeah. and say ooh i'm thankful to thank you life or something and and it's just you know well and, and i'm comfortable with it being just thankfulness being right. appreciative of of my situation and my world but but yeah it is i will even say thank god
1: for this i don't mean that you know it's an expression thank right. goodness so is just figure. as is Empty is as thank God and and the other thing to me um, that gets to me is art whether it's um, literature or film or music or whatever w- science has not capitalized on it because I think there is an, a remarkable beauty in the natural world you look at the pictures from Hubble. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. You look at uh, pictures of microscopic things and it's as beautiful as as, um, anything that could ever be painted. But I don't think naturalists have done a good enough job on capitalizing on the beauty when it comes to literature and everything else. Um, Historically, all of the great works of art are inspired by or paid for by one um, religious faith or another. And it just – I feel like we're losing – that race and and why is it that that why can't we come up with art that is just as compelling from a totally naturalistic viewpoint than um,
0: well I, I than would religious argue most art is I mean I, I think well, just because it doesn't explicitly wear the label atheist on it mm-hmm. or scientific naturalist I mean. It's obvious when you can see something religious, you can identify the religious by the types of concepts it uses. You identify the secular by just not having any of those concepts. And so how much of art, literature, and drama really is just about day-to-day affairs and the life and the world and living? But look at all
1: the supernatural element that's in everything. I mean, I'm a big comic book fan, and a lot of comic books have a very um, uh, non-theist perspective. Um, but there's still that, like, there's that element of the supernatural, which is fun and exciting and, at times, scary and all of this. And to have a totally naturalistic story, and, and you're right, there's there's plenty out there. Um, but that aspect, the supernatural, not not even God necessarily, but the supernatural, I think, is something that we can't compete with.
0: All right. Well, here's, here's one I was thinking of. Uh, Flatland. Have you guys heard— The 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 old story of Flatland, Edwin Abbott. He writes this story about – it's supposed to be a critique on Victorian culture. And he writes this story about um, this two-dimensional world where everybody exists as shapes in two dimensions. Women are lines and they can pierce and (laughs) kill sometimes the male shapes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's some – all sorts of stuff going on there. Um, But – Flatland is visited by a three dimensional being, a sphere, just as uh the, the two dimensional being gets to see a one dimensional point land. Right. It's like and that so, episode of
1: The Simpsons where Homer goes goes through the wall and uh, is is in three
2: D. This looks like it's costing a lot of money just standing here. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, well, <laughs> only
0: this one has a little more intellectual content because they're trying to get oh, I into think the Simpsons had plenty. It ended how with would, erotic cakes. How would you conceive of the world? <laughs> right. If you lived in these dimensions. So for the guy in Pointland is a solipsist. He only thinks he in Pointland where there's, you know, one dimension, he's the only thing that exists. Right. And when somebody from the two-dimensional world tries to talk to the guy in Pointland, he hears it all coming from within himself. Right. Because from his perspective, he's the only thing.
1: So what if there is another dimension on top so, of our dimension well, yeah. Because we're the same seeing thing things with, from... With,
0: from, from the second dimension, yeah. uh, when the sphere enters it, a three-dimensional object can only exist in a two-dimensional world one plane at a time. Oh, like Carl getting... Sagan did with the – if you remember, he cut the apple on Cosmos and he stamped it in ink and trying to illustrate how from a Flatlander's perspective, a sphere, it would just appear out of nowhere. It would morph in its form a and point, it would change. point
2: to a circle to a point.
0: Right. right. If you could take a two-dimensional uh, being and throw them into the three-dimensional world, they could see that suddenly they had like x-ray vision. They could see through houses. They could see inside people's bodies. And if they
1: turned to the side, we wouldn't be able to see them.
0: <laughs> At all. They might right. be all around us. Well, it's, it's – I don't think that really amounts to evidence for God. But it is one of those, it is one of those neat little thought experiments yeah. that says if there was a being of sufficient complexity mm-hmm. – um trying to explain them in our limited sense of the world would really sound absurd right um it it wouldn't sound logical the this two-dimensional shape who returns to flatland from the third dimension sounds like a blithering idiot he sounds completely incoherent well he just appeared from nowhere he's been able to see within all these objects i i uh, so for for me that one again i'm not persuaded of god but no. it is it does there are moments of humility that come out of that where it's like, you know, There's a there really could know. be realms far See, beyond the, right, this sure. existence. These, where
1: Mister lives, All
2: these ones the uh, of God that are hard to disprove, like what caused the, you know, what was before the Big Bang and what about the things that are just beyond our capability. Most religion, 95% of religion for people is an understandable personal religion. It has exactly. nothing to do with yeah. something that's so... Other that we can't even understand it. It's all personalized. Jesus appeared in Nazareth and blah, blah, blah. And if we pray, we go to heaven. And for good, we're bad, whatever. Those things are, are not so beyond us. Uh, the only thing that people seem to say that are be, is beyond them is when bad things happen, when a baby gets tortured or something like that. Then they say, oh, but God is so far beyond us. You can't just selectively claim the, it's so far beyond us mm. we can't understand it in Good some point. situations. If you're if you're a Christian and you, oh, you I know, agree. win the lottery or Mother Teresa's moral, you don't say it's so far beyond us. You say, oh, it's perfectly obvious what God is doing. I agree. So you can't have it both right. ways.
0: That's why if the flatland thing did persuade me to believe in God, I would have to be— uh, Silent uh, yeah, on on the is nature so of God. So far beyond us, right. then shut up. If, there's nothing yes. we
2: can say about it because it's so far beyond us, we can't going conceptualize to, it yeah. as heaven and hell and blah 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 and good works and whatever. Because he's so far beyond us.
0: That's the fatal yep. flaw to uh, appeals to transcendence. Is that if you're going to be consistent exactly, you just got to shut up. And so that's you know coming back to epistemology, I guess where we started, bringing this full circle. I think it's intellectually respectable on those questions that we simply can't know anything about, on those things that we cannot even conceive, to not to not engage in gross speculation as if these things are real and right. to uh, limit it to those things that we can have knowledge with confidence. And surprise, surprise, naturalism using the scientific method, using empirical evidence, this has gotten us so much farther than these metaphysical speculations ever have – it's vastly improved the quality of life, health, and knowledge about the world in, in ways that religion never has and probably never will be able to achieve.
1: That's a good place to leave it. Until next time, be sure to check out our website at www.doubtcast.org. Email us at doubtcast at or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or even Zazzle where you can buy some nifty shirts. At slash doubtcast. Keep on sending in those entries for the gospel of doubt. We'll have another one of those next week. See doubtcast.org or our Facebook group for details. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.